Welcome to Porch Community Church. So glad you're here. Um, if you're, whether you're in person or watching online, we're so glad you've decided to join us this morning. And if you're here for the first time, we want to say a special welcome to you. Uh, we're incredibly thankful you've chosen to spend your Sunday morning with us. We are in week eight of our series called Eight Traits of a Disciple. And so we're wrapping up our series today. Uh, this is week eight. And uh, what I feel has been a great and amazing series. Amen? I don't know how you feel. Um, just so many things that we have uh, tried to uh, apply to our lives and things that we've discovered and how God has been speaking and moving to us. I'm really thankful to, to uh, be with you today to wrap this series up. We've been walking through the book of Acts and identifying some very practical things uh, that we believe mark the life of a follower of Jesus, right? And certainly... You and I could come up with more things, uh, but we're looking at eight specific things that we feel should represent the life of a disciple. Eight things. And so we've been challenged every week to think, pray, reflect, and see how we can follow Jesus better. And that's always the goal, right? To follow Jesus better. So in this series, we've come up with a definition of what a disciple is, right? And here's our definition for our purposes. It, It says that a disciple is someone who listens who learns and acts. A disciple is someone who listens, learns, and acts. In week one, we talked about how a disciple should be communal, right? Um, Week two, we talked about how a disciple should be biblical, our foundation is scripture. Week three, we talked about how disciples should be generous people because God is a generous God. We should therefore be generous as well. Week four, we talked about how disciples should be prepared we should be prepared to, def- to defend the faith and, and to give an account of why we believe what we believe. To express to anyone, anywhere, why we follow Jesus. In week five, we talked about the, the importance of being mentored. We saw two great videos of, of uh, people that are in mentorship, discipleship, relationships, and, and the fruit that comes from their lives from that, like, and, and how, how much God can do when we get together as community, especially one-on-one and as smaller groups and, and just discuss life and discuss the things of God and, and what God's kind of calling us to do. And, and, of course, week six, we talked about how disciples should be missional. Of course, we should live on mission for, for Jesus all the time. The world, the earth that we live on is a mission field, right? We should view it that way. Every, every moment we're here on earth, every waking moment, we should be missional people. And, of course, last week, Shannon talked about being bold, being bold, not timid, right? The Spirit in us gives us, uh, gives us boldness, right? We're not to be timid about, about Jesus and, and ashamed of, of Christ, and we should live lives that are bold, right? And today, as we wrap the series up, today's trait is that a, a disciple should be spirit-led. A disciple of Jesus should be led by the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. And as we wrap this series up, we need to establish something this morning, and it's this, the journey to becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus, to becoming a true disciple, is a spiritual one. It's a spiritual one. It's not mere practicality. It's not about just doing or not doing. It's very spiritual in nature, and it begins from a very internal foundational place in the human soul. It's not just about do's and don'ts. The reality is the battle we're in is a spiritual battle, right? 
it's a, it's a battle between spirit and flesh, and we're going to look at some scripture that back that up. If you haven't noticed, we, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But, but against unseen forces, principalities, right? It's a very spiritual battle, this one. And if we're ever going to be committed followers of Jesus and we're ever, ever going to look like Jesus in this world, it's got to start from a foundational, deep foundational place. See, these eight traits are not human traits. The eight traits we just listed, they're not human traits at all. Now, now we're certainly called and even commanded to live these out, but these traits don't come from the natural human heart. They just don't. There's nothing good in me inherently. Nothing good in you inherently. Because of the, the chasm of sin, and, and we were born in, into this, under this sin curse. And so every fruit of our lives under the natural pretenses of what we feel like doing and where we go and what we say are done in the flesh. So it's not going to be according to the Spirit, really. If we live life like we want to, it will always be done in the flesh. Always. That ought to give us pause this morning. Because if you go on gut feelings and hunches and, and, and kind of, oh, this is just kind of like the way I want to do things. Man, we are going to get it wrong 99.99% of the time. Amen? That's just who we are. So there's a baseline here. We establish a baseline. When we do it like we feel like doing, we are going to live by the power of the flesh and not the spirit. See, the traits of a disciple of Jesus, I believe, originate from a deeper place. A place not found in the natural human heart. The power to go and do these things that we've been telling you that you ought to do doesn't come from you. It cannot come from you. It's not just practicality. It's a deeper place than that. See, the power comes from the Holy Spirit of God. The power to even begin to walk in this world like Jesus starts and ends with the Spirit's power. And I hope that you've gotten that, that impression from us as we've, as we've gone through this series this week, the last few weeks. I hope you've seen that, look, no matter how hard we try and toil under our own power, we're gonna fail miserably if the power comes from us, if the want to and the desire come from us flesh and the spirit. See, John 15, 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we're here to put the gospel into practice, it will come from being led totally and fully by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we've been walking through the book of Acts. The full title of the book is the Acts of the Apostles. And some have suggested that the book really should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I love that. I like that. I like that title, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it takes away all the pretense in our natural way of thinking to say, oh, these guys did amazing things. Look what these guys did. Look what these men and women did for God, for Jesus, right? We, we, we take the focus off the human and put it on Jesus. We take the focus off what we're capable of and we put it on Christ. It's a big shift, right? We need to make that leap this morning, the, not the acts of the apostles. It, that, that's great and well and good. But for our purpose this morning, I love that alternate title, the acts of the Holy Spirit. So the fact, that, the fact is without the Spirit of God working through us, leading us, there's no chance of being a disciple of Jesus the way God intended. 
See, the characteristics of a disciple are byproducts of the Spirit's work in us. It's just, it's just the way it is. So all throughout the book of Acts, we see these really cool instances where the Holy Spirit is like working on people and compelling people and leading them and speaking to their hearts and empowering them to do amazing things in the name of Jesus. In fact, it's like, that's like, you see a, a, a monumental shift in the book of Acts, beginning with Acts chapter 2, when that Holy Spirit came in and came down and came into our world for the very first time, exploded into the world. And now, instead of the Spirit kind of being around and hovering over and, and certainly influencing things, even we see that in the Old Testament, instead of the Spirit showing up in a cloud of fire or a cloud of smoke and go, oh, that's our sign, we ought to go that way, now the Spirit speaks internally to the man, to the woman. Isn't that amazing? What a shift that is. Now we don't have to wonder where the next sign is going to come from. The sign lives within. We have we are now become the temple of God that the Spirit resides in. Right? And so now we ask God, God, where do you want me to go? We ask him personally. See, before Jesus died, there was no there was no personal interaction between the common person and, and, and God. There was, a, there was a priest that you had to go to, and he had to go into this special room, and he had to get permission. He had to wear all these things that if something went wrong in there, they could pull him out. They had a, literally had a rope tied, behind, uh, tied to his ankle and bells and stuff that if anything went wrong, they could yank him out of there because the, the, presence, and the, the presence of God was so powerful and potent. It was, it was centered in, in one spot on the earth at the time, on the top of the lid of that Ark of the Covenant. So in the Old Testament, the, the, the Jews and the, the people of Israel, the, there, was no, there was no free access to God. Now we have access, and yet we live powerless lives. We act like we still need a, a preacher to do something to pray for us. Right? I always uh, make the joke like at family dinners, Guess who they asked to say the blessing over the food? Me. I guess they think it's going to get to heaven quicker. I told that joke yesterday. For those of you who were there, I apologize. You've heard it the same, same joke twice. That's funny. It's a joke. Somehow we think that the, the, the preachers and the pastors and people who are called to vocational ministry have a leg up on us when it comes to the work of God. It's just not true, is it, Shannon? Just not true. It's just not true. The power of Christ, if you've stepped into relationship with, with Jesus, then you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have all the access to God you ever need. And so we're going to look at a couple of different instances in the book of Acts this morning. I want you to turn with me first to Acts chapter 16. And we're going to look at a couple of accounts of, of this, this being spirit-led. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, the followers of Christ had a power they didn't have before. They had an access they didn't have before. Everything changed when Jesus came and he died and he was resurrected. And then, of course, we, we saw the amazing account in Acts chapter 2 where the Spirit just burst into that room and earthquakes happen and fire rests on people's heads and people speak in different languages they weren't taught in school and, and, and all kinds of crazy stuff was happening because now the Spirit... The, the spirit world intersected with the natural world, and it changed everything for us. Amen. Aren't you glad that Jesus sent his spirit 
And he said, I got to go away, but it's to your benefit that I go. I'm going to send the Spirit in my place. And what an amazing, thought-provoking deal that is. Because for the disciples, wait, you're going? Why is it? Why, how is that a positive thing, Jesus? How's that a positive thing that you're leaving? We've been hanging out with you for three and a half years. Like, you're gone? Like, what's, what's the deal? He said, no, now I'll reside in you. I won't just be with you, I will be in you. The spirit in us provides the power. Okay, so Acts 16, verses six through 10. I want you to, I want to read this. I want you to read this with me. And so thankful for the word of God and the power that comes from it. It says, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at the time. You see this? Like The Spirit prevented them from going this place but wanted them to go to this place. You know, there was no, you know, in our natural minds, it's like, oh, well, we just need to go everywhere, so let's, any, meeny, miny, mo, let's, let's draw a map and let's go, oh, that town's closest, let's go there. It seems logical to go to this place and preach, let's just go there. Logic had nothing to do with it. Ever had that, that, that type of experience, y'all, with like, the spirit is, you think this is kind of the right way to go, and God says, hold up. But God, this is the logical thing to do. This is the logical business decision to make. This is the logical financial decision to make. I don't have any money to give. I can't give to the church. That's not logical. Where's the money going to come from? My bank account is depleted. I have too many bills. I can't pay. I can't tithe to the church. I can't give. I can't give up my time. I don't have any time. That's not logical. And the Spirit says, whoa up. I'll make time. I'll provide. I'll provide. He says, don't go there, go here. He says, then coming to the borders of Mysia and headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Twice, he put a roadblock there. They were trying to preach the gospel and they're trying to go everywhere. But the spirit had a, a, a plan. Didn't really make sense to them, but they were gonna listen and they said, okay. Okay, I'll go where you want. And here, here's how it wraps up. So, so instead, they went through Mysia to the port of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So Paul and his ministry brother Silas were traveling around preaching. And we see something really interesting. Twice the Spirit prevented them from going where they thought they needed to go. These were godly men. Why? Here we see something that we haven't seen prior to this. Apart from Jesus being led out into the wilderness to pray before he started his ministry, all of a sudden the man, the woman, the natural man was being led internally by the spirit not on opinions not on gut feelings but it was a spiritual leading not a, not a practical not just a, a human way of thinking it was completely different and what we see is the spirit actively at work and guiding and speaking to the hearts of men and women and, and they're actually listening and obeying the spirit they're actually deferring what they think 
for what the Spirit wants them to do. That's a monumental shift. And I, I, ladies and gentlemen, we're guilty of that. We're so guilty of that. Friends, we're guilty of doing what we feel like doing, and we just say, God, just bless it. You know, I mean, God, you're going to lead me. And we have no plan of letting him lead. We just go, yeah, I'll just, I think I'll just end up in the right spot because I'm a Christian. I think I'll just say the right things naturally, right? I mean, I'm a Christian. Have you listened to yourself lately? Have, I, I, if I'm listening to, to what comes out of my mouth and the thoughts that, that, that arrive in my head, I cannot be trusted to always do what the Spirit wants. Almost never, right? Almost never. I'm depleted of the power to do that on my own. Are you with me? So in light of this, let's establish the baseline. This one thing this morning, that we are to be led by the Spirit of God in all areas of our life. All areas. Turn with me to Romans 8 real quick. I love this passage. It's, it's kind of in your face. That's kind of the way Paul liked it. In your face. Don't be around the bush. Romans 8, 5 through 14. This is what it says. It says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature... Think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature always is hostile to God. Man, these are strong words this morning. And it still applies today. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature, the flesh, can never please God. But you are not controlled by the sinful nature. You have stepped into a relationship with Jesus. He's, he's almost like saying, look, you're better than this. You don't live like the rest of the world does. Don't take your cues from culture. Don't take your cues from your neighbor. Don't take your cues from gut feeling. We are not to take our cues from this world. He says, you're not like that. You're controlled by the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them, they do not belong to him at all. Yikes. And Christ lives within you. And so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies. By this same spirit living within you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. Amen. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are called children of God. We are to live by the power of the Spirit, not our own. So the first thing we see in being Spirit-led here is that the Spirit leads us to repentance. It leads to the repentance. And when we start talking about repentance, people start shutting it down. We don't, we don't really, it, it kind of goes against our, our nature to, to think about repentance and, oh man, it's painful, it's painful. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to be exposed for the fraud I am. I don't, I don't you know, I don't, I don't like being called out. I don't, man, it, it, there's, there's a wrestling inside of me. I, I, I'm running from that because I just want things to be okay. And I don't, I don't 
want God to scold me or to, you know, to zap me, whatever we think God's going to do when we go to him, whatever we think in our own human minds we think is going to happen to us other than Jesus loving and restoring us and restoring the relationship. You know, see, there, there's, there's this initial stepping into relationship with Christ that has to happen for everyone. Initial repentance of sin, right? Jesus, I believe you died for me. I'm, sin, I'm, I'm a sinner, I know it. I'm sinful. There's no hope for me apart from you. I believe what you did on that cross and I accept that. Thank you for saving me. Right, whatever whatever that that prayer sounded like for you, all we know the Bible says is to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that we step into that initial that relationship with Jesus initially, and we repent of our sin. But I believe repentance ought to be an everyday thing. I think it ought to be the process by which we live. I think repentance ought to be the process. It ought to be the daily process. And if we are not waking up in a spirit of repentance. If we're not waking to the day in a spirit of God, your way, not mine. God, I don't want to do what I am capable of doing because it's not good. It's not good. The litmus test of that is if people, if people, if we could read each other's thoughts in here, we'd all be running for the hills. That's the litmus test. If you could read my thoughts, how dark they are sometimes. If I could read your thoughts, it would splinter us so bad. And thank God we can't because we, we're just so, all so messed up in the way we think. It's flesh. So we need a deeper, deeper power working within us if we're ever going to be disciples, if we're ever going to live this life like God wants us to. The Spirit leads us to repentance. All right, That's the Spirit's number one job is to convict of sin and, and restore the relationship with God. Number two, the Spirit leads us to listen and obey. To listen and obey. Remember our definition of what a disciple is? A disciple is someone who listens, learns, and acts on it. We should listen and obey. The Spirit-led person will surrender their lives. When we're led by the Spirit of God, we're, we're going to surrender to the will and way of God. We don't like, to, we don't like that word obey. It's like repentance. We, they're, they're bad words. Obey. We don't talk about obedience in our churches very much anymore, do we, church? We don't because we're scared we're going to run people off. Oh, my gosh, let the Spirit do the convicting. We, Shannon and I are not up here to convict you and make you feel bad at all. Man, I, I was, I, can I tell you how convicted I was this week by going through this? And I'm, I'm, go, I'm running through the traits, Shannon. I'm running through the traits, y'all, and I'm going, ouch, ouch. I failed there. I failed there, I failed there, I failed there. I, fa I have not displayed almost any of these traits for long periods of time, this week alone, much less in my life. If we're really honest, it's like reading the Ten Commandments, right? Or when you're little, you're like, oh my gosh, like, well, I hadn't killed anybody today, so I'm good. That's a joke, it's a terrible joke. Pretty sure you haven't either, and that's good. You kept that one, good job. But there's that first one, no other gods before me. If we're honest, we break that one constantly. Probably almost every moment of every day until we get into some 
deep prayer and study and then God draws us back in and we're like, oh, I have created all these little gods. I've created God out of my family. I've created a God out of my social circle. I've created a God out of my job. I've created a God out of the sport that my kid plays. I can say that. I I mean, I got an athlete. I can create a God out of those things and totally miss what God has for me and my family. Completely miss all those good things and get to the end of my life and what did I spend my life doing? What did I spend my life, what energy did I put towards things in my life? How much did I waste my life because I was spending it in the wrong direction? Man, if it hurts, it ain't coming from me, I promise you. I dealt with this all week. It ought to hurt. Man, it ought to hurt. There should be a sense of God, drawing, God, the Spirit of God drawing you back and going, this, this and this need to be taken care of. Thank God for that conviction. The Spirit leads us to repentance. It leads us to listen and obey. And finally, the Spirit leads us out. It leads us out. Out into the world, the Great Commission, Jesus sends us out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Second uh, passage we want to look at in Acts is, comes from Acts chapter 13. It's the first five verses of Acts 13. If you want to turn there, look on the screen. And I, I love this. This is a man named Saul who would eventually become Paul, and he wrote most of the New Testament, the greatest preacher who ever lived, not named Jesus. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... It's really important. The the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work in which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And so we see this group of believers this council, they're getting together, and what do we find them doing? Praying. Every message ever preached could, could come back to two things, the word of God and the prayers of people. The word of God and prayer. Why should it ever be any more complicated than that? If we're ever going to live spirit-led lives, it starts and ends with the word of God and prayer. This is how the Spirit guides us. How can we ever know what God wants us to do if we're not doing those two things? You will not know. You will not know. I don't care if you got saved at eight years old, went through confirmation. I don't care what you did. I don't care if you got dunked a hundred times. You will not know what the Spirit wants you to do if you're not praying, if you're not talking to God, if you're not in his word. There's power in that. So we see this. They're praying, they're fasting. All of a sudden, God says, anoint these men. Who knew in that group that they had just anointed the greatest preacher apart from Jesus that the world would ever see. I guarantee they didn't. All they knew is that God was calling them to anoint these men and send them out. So they anointed Paul and Barnabas to preach. So the Spirit leads us to repentance. Repentance is beautiful. It ought to be a the part of our daily process and our, our daily schedule. The Spirit leads us to listen to and obey to God and that we do that through the word of God and prayer, right? You'll never rise above how much you pray. Some wise man once told me that and I'll never, ever forget that. You'll never rise above how much you pray and how much you spend, time you spend in the word of God. 
So the Spirit leads us to repentance, leads us to listen, obey, and it leads us out. So the question is, are you walking by the Spirit in your life, even just a little bit? Or are you tempting to? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you in all the areas of your life? Are you the boss of your own life? Are you calling the shots? Or are you being led by the Spirit in your decision-making? Financial decision-making. Decisions on where you should go to school, young people. Decisions on who you should date. Oh, my gosh. Come on now. Decisions on this. Decisions on that. Decision-making. How can we ever make sound decisions if the Spirit is not leading us to do so? We'll mess it up every single time. And how often do I go on gut feeling? Just because it's not, it's not a, a given that I'm going to make the right decision for me, what God wants for me, just by being a Christian. If I'm not in the Word of God, I'm not praying. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Are you being led by the Spirit in every area? Big and small, what we tend to do is this. Friends, friends, how often do we go, you know, I can handle the small things, God. I just need you to come in when, when, when the things overwhelm me and I can't handle it anymore. Man, that is a lie of the enemy. Can we just establish that this morning? God wants it all, big and small, big and small. He wants every decision, even down to the most mundane, ridiculous things that we kind of laugh at. No, God wants you to consult him on everything. Not just consult him to get his opinion, but to say, God, I want to go where you go. I don't want to take one step without you. I don't want to run ahead of you, God. The, the reason we get to that place and the, the way we get to that place is that the closer we get to God in our prayer life and reading scriptures is we realize the, how far away we are. I think the closer I get to God, the further away I feel sometimes. Not further away as in closeness, further away compared to him. That's why Paul says, man, I'm the chief sinner. I'm the worst there is. Of course he wasn't. He wrote it from prison. He wrote that line from prison for preaching. He said, I'm the worst sinner on earth. Imagine that. The guy that's living by the Spirit probably the most at that point in history is saying, I'm the worst sinner alive. Knowing there are mass murderers around, knowing there are people doing way worse things than him. He said, I, I feel that way because the closer I get to God, in relation to God, and how big God is, how awesome God is, I'm so small. And my line of thinking is so flawed. If we're ever going to make sound decisions for ourselves, our family, if we're ever going to resemble Jesus in any way to our world. And you know what? It's not really for us. We resemble Jesus for a lost and dying world. We resemble Jesus. We want to resemble Jesus for those people in our family. We know are lost. We know there's no hope right now in their lives apart from the Jesus that we display for them. Think about that for a minute, y'all. There are people in your circle, business owner, student, Husband, wife, brother, sister, there are people in your circle that desperately need to see Jesus in you. They're going to come to faith in Christ. God wants to use you to do it. And he's waiting on you to get your house in order, to surrender all your things to him so that he can do what he wants to do. We talk about having revival break out in this town. It's not going to happen unless the spirit of God works within me personally. Revives my heart, right? Right? does what he wants to do. 
So which areas, as we close, we're going we're gonna to celebrate Holy Communion together. And I love this day every time we do it. And, and as, I, as we close, I, I want to ask everybody who's helping with communion to go and come on up. The question is real simple. You know, look, if you, if you feel miles apart, miles away from, you know, if we, if we're, as we're talking, if you feel, feel like I did on Tuesday, Wednesday, if you feel like I did, look at me, and go, I'm so far away from letting the Spirit lead my life. I'm so, I am I am miles away. I don't even know where to begin. I, I just don't even know. I, I thought I was kind of good because I go to church every Sunday and I'm, I'm a good moral person, but I am so far away from the Spirit leading me. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. Today we can start, amen? Today can be the beginning of letting God lead and direct and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what he wants for you. And your life will be completely different, will look completely different, just with some time and discipline in that. So the action steps are real simple. Repent of sin. Hey, there's a golden opportunity. We've got an altar here. There's an altar where you sit. Repent of sin. Say, God, have it. Take it. I'm sorry. Here it is. I've made a mess of it. Here it is. Thank you for the cross and what it bring, the life that it brings. And number two, listen. Listen to the Spirit of God. Listen to God. Read his word. Talk to him more. Instead of just kind of throwing up on God and unloading on God, won't you just listen? Someone told me one time, an effective prayer life is 80% listening and 20% speaking. I think that's pretty accurate. Because if we listen first, then all those things we were going to ask God, they, they find their answer. And then lastly, we should obey. Just obey. Just do what God wants you to do. Don't make excuses. Don't make excuses, pressure, whatever. Just obey. His way is so much better. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so thankful for your spirit at work in us. When there's nothing good in us, you do a work, God, that just can't even be expressed, can't be explained. Thank you for how you're Speaking to us this morning, my prayer is that, our prayer is that we would all run to the cross and understand our deficiencies are, they're, they're innate in us. We were born with the deficiencies of the flesh. We were born with the, the, with the capacity just to do our own thing. But the Spirit gives us a new nature. So that war in all of us this morning, the Spirit and the flesh, God, I pray that the Spirit would win out, that we would surrender to the Holy Spirit. We don't even, may not even know how to do that, but just simply a prayer saying, God, I want your will, your way. I want your Spirit to do his work in me. I want to do what the Spirit wants. I don't want to do what I want. I've done it my way, and I messed it up. Maybe you're not there. Maybe you're like I was in a place where I felt like I was making pretty good decisions, but I was still missing out on some things that God wanted to do. I was still not following his way completely and totally, wholeheartedly. Father, I pray that that would be where, we, where it starts and ends this morning. And then as a byproduct, all these other traits will just start to show up in our lives. We'll start to be missional people. We'll start to be bold in our witness. We'll be prepared to give a, an account for why we believe what we believe. And we want community real bad. 
Father, I pray that you would do the work that we that we're here to respond. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.